Okay, we want to first thank everyone for coming. In honor, thank you. In honor of, you belong in the front. You belong in the front. In honor of our shul, my father's shul, Tefere Torah. And many of you, you know, it's a shul in its own space in its own area that we all benefit from. We go the there every Wednesday, but so many people benefit through my father and my mother. Whether it's through the questions, through the halachot, through the text messaging, my mother, or if it's through asking all different types of questions, the books. There's a million different ways that Baruch Hashem, the community, has been impacted from that little basement. So inshallah, soon, We'll be able to build that into the home it's supposed to be. And we'll all be able to enjoy and be able to, inshallah, be very successful. And more and more Torah should grow in our community. Amen. Amen. We have to thank Mrs. Smecky in the back. Thank you very much for hosting us. Some people only give a bake sale one floor in their house. You gave us two. Thank you very, very much for accommodating in every way. I remember, I don't know why I, this memory is very clear in my mind, doing a bake sale in your in-law's house. I think we did it for the shul a number of years ago in like the foyer. I remember doing it. Yes? Remember that. I remember I was like trying to figure it out. And Baruch Hashem, inshallah, in your home and in your family, this should only be continued beracha and beautiful things. Amen. We're also here. Belt in memory of Ezra Shabbat Shalom. And it's a great honor. We're really close to his parents and his siblings, his sister, his brother, his sisters in law, brother in law. And he was a young man who passed away way too early in a way that was really a dramatic blow to our community, one that affected so many old and young, but especially within his age group. I remember speaking to them on that Sunday, and so many of them were so traumatized. And then working with them and doing things to memorialize him, and how much they impacted from him, how much they saw his beauty in their lifetime, how much he cared for every one of his family members, every one of his friends, how much he was there for them, the little chesed, the big chesed, inviting them to his apartment in the city on Sumchat Torah, pushing his brother's car in the snow, and a million other examples like that. Today is a great honor to have our class in his memory. Thank you. Ezra Shabbat. Ezra Ben Farida. Ben Farida. I don't know why I was thinking about this this week here. Best seat in the house, please, come. I mean, some people think it's the best, some people think it's the worst. Whichever, however you feel. So, I don't know why I was thinking it this week. But I think I think it a lot. I think we all find this a lot. I talk about it a lot, although today it'll be a very different and unique perspective. Life is a lot. Do you ever feel like there's just a lot that life throws at you? 
family, finances, children, this, that, that's emotional health. It's like, it's you wake up in the morning and there's like a million things going on. It's not like, oh, okay, I have one thing to do today and then I'll relax. And then it's like, <laughs> there's, it, there's so much. Life is like so many balls you have to keep in the air and so many things you have to balance. It's like, it's like a lot. It's just a lot. I don't know how to say it any better way than to say life is really a handful. Like there's just a million things coming at you from a million different directions. And when you finish with one, another two show up. And when you finish with two, six show up and then they go away and three come back. It's unreal how much life throws at you. And so what I'd like to do today is provide a little perspective in a very unique and different way than I ever had before. This week, I got an email from a man, a member of our shul, a writer. His name is Jack Dweck. Jack Dweck. And he sent me an email with some information, a little article he wrote for someone who was a little challenged. in his life. And he said, let me just try to explain to you Hashem. And then we'll make our point over the course of a few minutes. He said, let me explain to you Hashem. You want to get a little, let's picture, you want to understand the size of this world. Do you have any idea what the size of the world is? If we would make a model, like a model of the world, and the world would be the size, Earth would be the size of a marble, if the earth would be this, take the whole earth and make it the size of a marble. With that proportion, the sun would be 300 yards away, the size of a medicine ball. And then a star called the Alpha Centauri. Anyone here have you heard the Alpha Centauri? We have no scientists, I guess, in the room. The Alpha Centauri, again, if the earth was a marble, the Alpha Centauri would be 49,000 miles away. Are you picturing this? Yeah. If the earth is at that proportion, which, and the Alvisatory is the furthest star, right? No, no. It's the closest. I'm not sure, again, put this, it's like gazillions of miles away in reality. The earth is, again, I'm talking the proportion of the earth being a marble. If the earth was a piece of dust, that means all everything, the seas and the oceans and the land and the mountains and the hills and all the different continents were all a piece of dust, then still the, this Alpha Centauri would be 400 miles away and it's the closest star. The world is so ridiculously enormous. And every scientist will tell you, if we were just a little closer to the sun, we'd be scorched and gone. If we were a little further away from the sun, we'd freeze and be froze over and there'd be nothing left. It'd be minus 200 degrees. If we were a little closer to the atmosphere, the billions and billions of comets that are flying around in the stars, if one would hit us, it would be the equivalent of a hundred million hydrogen bombs. You're following the size and the scope of this world? I mean, you understand what I'm saying to you when I say to you that the closest star, if the Earth was a marble, would be 49,000 miles away, which means in reality, it's, in, it's unreal. 
You think about that, you say, there's a famous pasuk in Tehillim that says, Ki shamecha maseh potecha. When I see your heavens, the creation of your hands. Yareach v'kochavim asher konanta. The sun, the moon, and the stars that you created, ma'enosh kitiskerenu. What am I? Like, I'm less than nothing. A human being in that whole scope is, it, it, it's, it's it, nothing less than, less than, less than, less than, it's, it's so teeny tiny. And like, does God even have any time to even remember us? He created a world that there's no even gazillions of, of miles of, of space to, to, to reach the closest star. Does He even know we exist? And then you have to realize this. That in every human body, there are 75 trillion blood cells. 75 trillion. And another 25 trillion other cells. Which means in your body, there's 100 trillion cells. Every single one of them know exactly what to do, where to deliver, what to take, what to waste, what to get rid of. Okay, in each cell, there's DNA that has, that scientists determined that each strand of DNA has one trillion bytes of memory in a computer would be needed to hold the information in one strand of DNA that's in one of a hundred trillion cells in your body. So he said this to me, I said, okay, Something here is a little exaggerated. Let me just look it up myself. So last night I go on the computer, I do Google the whole thing. And yeah, there's a machloket. Is it 50 trillion or is it 300 trillion cells? It's, it's unbelievable how precise. You have a liver in your body that weighs 3 pounds, does 500 different jobs, produces more than 1,000 different enzymes. Each enzy- enzyme would require an enormous factory to build one Enzyme that's that there's a thousand of them being built out of your liver every day. Your ears have 400 wax glands and 30,000 circuits amplifying. Are you kidding? When I'm going, should I keep going? Or is this? It's it's not normal. It's it's not normal. It's it's not normal. I, I can't keep going. This one square inch of skin contains four million cells, five yards of nor- of nerves, four feet of blood. 120 sweat glands. The skin. Total insulation system in your whole body contains 2 million sweat glands, which is 6 miles of ducts which cool your body. The, you ever see a piece of paper that you rip and it heals itself? Your skin does that. Your bone does that. Your hands. Your hands. I, I, I forgot this little piece of the liver. Do you know that the liver, I'm losing you, but it doesn't matter. The liver produces vitamin K, okay, that helps the blood clot, right? Imagine if the blood wouldn't clot, it would just bleed to death. Do you know when it starts producing that vitamin K in your body? On the eighth day, the day of Brit Milah. Just saying. Okay, your hands have millions of different nerve endings every... There are over a thousand nerve endings in every square inch. Open your hand, make a square inch, 
and there's a thousand, I don't know what to say, your heart weighs 12 ounces and it pumps blood every day through 60,000 miles of blood vessels. In an average lifetime, 500,000 tons of blood are going through your body every 30 seconds. All your blood is renewed. It, uh, the, the blood without oxygen goes to one side and it's oxygenated, it goes through the other side. Though I'm not going to make this the whole class. I'm just <laughs> saying it's unbelievable. The human eye has a hundred, uh, 137 million nerve endings. I'm going to stop. But my point is, it's it's, it's, not, it's not fathomable. You have a world that is so large and so enormous. I described it to you before with the extent of the world and then so minuscule that uh, there's a hundred trillion cells in your body that each one of them would require 15 computers to run one. How unbelievable is Bore Olam? There's a pasuk in Devarim that captures it perfectly. Ki Hashem Elokim, Elokechem, Hu Elokim, He is the God of Gods, Adonai Adonim, the Master of Masters. Hakel Hagadol Hagibor Vehanora. God is unbelievable. Osemishbat Yatom Vealmana. He takes care of the small, low, widow, and orphan. Bore Olam is so enormous, and yet so small. He's so unbelievably powerful. If there's ever a human being who doubts his existence, you have to be absolutely brain dead. It's impossible to even contemplate another option. He's so unbelievably large, and yet, his greatness is that he's also so powerfully small and precise and able to do, able to do both, to have a world that's trillions and billions and gazillions or whatever the kids' numbers are, that in terms of size, and yet so small in terms of the precise way that the DNA is within every one of the cells that are in your body. Our job as a Jew is to try to imitate that. Imitate that means our mind has to be on greatness and our everyday has to be on all very small details. That's how greatness happens. When the Basuk tells you, Kedoshim you, you should be holy, it means your goals have to be very lofty. But the way you achieve those goals is not, I got to do something crazy. The way you achieve those goals is by doing something right over and over and over again. One, almost literally, cell at a time. Every small step, do something right today. You know, I said life is a lot. I think if I were to put it in the right perspective, I think a healthy life has 10 components that have to be going right in order for it to be what you consider healthy, happy life. Number one is dealing with the family you're born into, your parents, your siblings, grandparents. Number two is de dealing with the family that comes from you, your children and grandchildren. 
Number three is dealing with the one person you actually chose, your husband. Sometimes you forget you chose him. Good. Okay. Number four is dealing with the whole large and to some people very, very strenuous financial component of life. Number five, and it shouldn't be in this order, is your observance and your connection with Bore Olam. It's really everything, but I'm just putting it as one component. Number six is your character and your midot. Number seven is your social network and the people you interact with in terms of friends and businesses and people you'll deal with. Number five, number, where am I at? Number eight is the temptations and desires that are in every person's body every morning they wake up to sleep, to eat, and whatever else. Number nine is your emotional state of mind and how your brain and how you're just sort of healthy, okay, in a good mood. And number ten is your health, your physical body. And at any given moment, one, two, three, four, five, six, sometimes all ten of these things are coming at you. Where you wake up in the morning and you say, I don't feel like, you know, I used to pray well, I'm not praying so well today. I was really nasty to that person yesterday. My relationship with my father isn't really what I wanted it to be. You know, one of my kids is struggling. My husband comes home in a bad mood. I'm messed up. I don't even know what's bothering me. It's just a regular day. Life is a lot. Because you have to try to keep all ten balls in the air. And if one of these are not doing well, any one of these ten are not doing well, your day is affected. You're going to walk out of here, one, two, or three of these meteoroids are going to hit you on one of these things. Financial, emotional, children, social, something's going to hit you. How do you handle it? Again, with Bore Olam's model. Eye on greatness and your hands on small actions, one at a time, that are righteous. Just do this right, and do that right, and do the next thing right. You know, sometimes you see through the eyes of a child a little bit of that, like how big they think, or how sometimes they feel swamped by like nothing. Just like nothing. It's like, oh, I have so much stress, and I'm 10. <laughs> so like last week, my six-year-old daughter, she wasn't feeling well, like on Wednesday, I don't know why, she's vomiting, whatever. So... Thursday morning she wakes up, she tells my wife, I have, to, I, wanted to, I have to stay home from school today, I have to stay home from school. My wife says, okay, must be she's sick? Okay, no problem. She's sick, you, no problem, you can stay home. So she's very cute, she's helping around the house, and she's doing things. All of a sudden she tells my wife, Ma, I want to set the table for Shabbat. Isn't that abuse? So my wife helps her with the tablecloth. She goes upstairs, comes downstairs, and everything is set. Down to the runners, the plates, the napkins, the goblets, the forks, the knives, everything. So my wife goes into the housekeeper and says, Thank you very much, Senora, for all you did. She says, I didn't do anything. Ruthie did the whole thing. So I was like, Wow, this is cute. Like, we should, we should train them all this way. But then someone came to the house a little later and says to my wife, like, Wow, you know, you set the whole table for Shabbat on Thursday? That's unbelievable. All of a sudden, my daughter starts hysterical crying. I was like, What's wrong? She says, It's Thursday. I thought it was Friday. I wanted to take off from school from, on Friday. <laughs> like, she, the, the children have like this, I don't 
don't know what she wanted. I'm not sure what exactly what it was. I'm not sure what our teacher had in store on Friday. I'm not sure what if the whole thing was a scam, what not. But she's six. What kind of test are they taking? I don't know. But life is sometimes big. The only way to approach it is small. I want to give you a Mishnah. We like every week to do a Mishnah in these weeks between Pesach and Shavuot. And I believe it's powerful advice. And once you realize who the author is of this Mishnah, you realize how powerful this advice is. Ben Azai, great rabbi of the Mishnah, used to say, Run after the smallest mitzvah as if it's great. And run away from the smallest sin as if it's large. She mitzvah, goreh mitzvah, because one mitzvah leads to another, and one sin leads to another, and the reward for a mitzvah is just a mitzvah, it's just another mitzvah. I mean, it's a great reward in the next world, but it's another mitzvah. And then the next Mishnah continues, it says, don't ever write off anybody. Because you have no idea which person or which thing can lead to which opportunity at what point. That's his little statement. Now, it's a beautiful and beautiful and true statement. But I want you to understand who Ben Azai was. Ben Azai may have been one of the holiest men to ever live. That means that the Gemara says he was incapable of getting married because he was so holy, and whether he was right or wrong is a big debate, because he was so holy, he says, what can I do? I'm so deeply connected to Torah, I do not have a second. It's impossible for me to do anything else. The Gemara Masechet Hagigah says there were four men who were able to go to the Pardes, which means go to parts of heaven and see things and visions that no other human beings, mystical visions that no other human beings could ever see. Four people. And Ben Azai was one of them. He had an unbelievable amount of Kedushah, unfathomable concept of holiness. One time it says, the rabbi saw fire around his Torah study. I don't know what that means, spiritual fire, you can interpret how you like. Fire around his Torah study. And they approached him and said, what are you doing that's generating this level of holiness? What are you doing? What are you doing that's generating this power of holiness? Are you like learning some great Kabbalah, something powerful, something fantastic, something unbelievable? He says, no. I'm learning a regular Pasuk in Torah that leads me to a regular Pasuk in Nevi'im, which leads me to a regular Pasuk in Kituvim. I'm doing a regular Pasuk and I'm so happy about it and so appreciative of it that it's as if I'm at Har Sinai, and like Har Sinai, there's a fire surrounding me. What he's trying to say, without sounding too mystical, is that the way I achieve this unbelievable holiness is really like the Mishnah I just authored. One mitzvah at a time. Just simply one simple, beautiful thing. They say, if you want life to be successful, slow it down. Slow it down means, look at how can I do the next hour right? And then the next hour right. I can't juggle all ten balls at all time. But how can I do each hour right? You know, 
who do you think is the holiest man alive today? We could take guesses. I may be Rabbi I don't know. But here, what do you think he's doing right now? Do you think he's like building mountains of spirituality, of flying in the heavens? What he's doing right now is he's either greeting one person and giving him a blessing, or he, someone sent him a question and he's answering it, or he has a book open and he's studying it. All things that me, you, your husband, your sons, every one of them can do. He just do, does it over and over and over and over again. And that's what makes him enormous. I once saw a video of one of the great Gedolim. He passed away a few years ago. We have Elias Shiv. He lived to over 100 years old. He was known as one of the greatest Matmidim and learners of our generation. So they had a video of him learning at like 3 o'clock in the morning. And what struck me, I saw it a few years ago, and what struck me so dramatically at watching that video is how simple what he was doing was. He had a Gemara open that I learned too. He had a question, he got up, he took a Rambam off the shelf to look it up. Then he took another book off the shelf, all books that I use, that my son uses, that my students use, that my... Greatness is doing one powerful right thing at a time, always having your mind on enormous goals of Kedusha. And that has to be Really everyone, it's an approach, it's a mindset, it's a simplicity, but it's a greatness. You know, we're here today in memory of this young man, Ezra Shavit. And talking to his family and then so many of his friends, because we're working on, inshallah, a really big project in his memory. Every one of them, it's the same thing. He, he, he didn't try to, like, change the world. He would just help his neighbor. And he would just do something small and that would turn into be a little bigger than small for the person right next to him. And his life was about just striving to reach another level. Just striving for the next thing. Saying I can do something and that'll lead to a greater thing and then I can do a greater thing. That's what hoping for Kiddushah is. You can't create, recreate the stars in the heavens. You can work on oneself. You can work on one human being. You can accomplish with one person, with one act. Great people just did millions of them. But they're just one at a time. There is a pasuk in last week's parasha that will give us the one key that can sort of distract a person from achieving that goal. Achieving greatness through one step, one small step at a time. Pasuk says, Kedoshin to you be holy. And then it says, don't turn to the idols, to the nothing idols. Don't create and build idols to worship. If you're following the wording, the Pasuk went from calling them Elilim, like nothing, and then Elohim Asecha, gods. Rashi explains why they changed the terminology, because here's how the world works. First, they're nothing. And then once you're tifnu, once you look at them and follow them and get obsessed over them, you turn them into gods and into idols. Let me give you the best example of this, I know. And it's pretty recent. You ever see sometimes pictures that have like a dramatic impression on you, like a picture of Vietnam War, they had powerful pictures and powerful pictures. So I saw a picture that was like, to me, pretty powerful. It was a picture that I saw someone sent me on Saturday night. It was a picture of about, I don't know, 100 
or 200 private jets all landed together, or one after another, in an airport in Las Vegas. 200 private jets. Private jets means powerful people across the country all came to this location. What was going on that would get two, 100 or 200 private jets to all fly in at the same time? I don't know if any people in this room know. Maybe your husband knows. There was a fight. Big deal. There was a fight. Now you say, oh, there's a fight. Oh, what's, what's a fight? Here's what a fight is. Millions of people in this country spent $100 to watch this fight. Live tickets cost twenty and thirty and forty thousand dollars a ticket to be at this fight. I'm not exaggerating. You can look it up. The men who fought made like two walked out with a check of two hundred million dollars for one night. It's a fight. I want to tell you something. It's not just that you couldn't care less. Nobody cared, but the country and the media built it up as to the fight of the century. You can't believe it. And you know what ended up being? 45 minutes of two guys clutching each other. You want to see two guys cl clutch each other? Go to Coney Island Avenue. You see the exact same thing. That's what it was. And people are like, oh my gosh, you got it. Are we going to people's houses? Are we paying? Are we doing? Are we, are we seeing? Are you seeing the fight? Did you see the fight? It was, that's it. People wait up till it was like midnight. Tikkun Hatzot. To watch this fight. To watch the weather fight against some other guy. And to see these people be so... What, what are we doing? We took nothingness and turned it into a God. That's how life fails. Life fails when you're tefnu when you have nonsense that we worship, and things that we get distracted by that are nothing. And don't get me wrong, I'm not judging any person who bought the fight. You know, I very much understand. I was also like curious, oh wow, this was much such a big deal. And then everyone said, it was, it, was, it was nothing. Ask any person who followed that fight, they will tell you, I don't even understand what got into me. I didn't care before. I don't care after. How'd they get me to pay $100 and stay up until 1 o'clock in the morning? For what? That's what the whole world does to you. Every day. It's that stuff that destroys the other 10. The 10 balls you have in the air are, do one at a time, you'll be successful. Don't be distracted by the Elilim. We say every day in the prayers, it's a part of the prayers that we actually say in Shacharit three times. It's something that we say it's sitting, we say it's standing. When you're in a minyan, you try to make sure they're up to the minyan. When they're saying it, it's a big deal. It's called Nakti Shach. And in Nakti Shach, we say the most powerful statement of Nakti Shach is this opening statement. Kadosh. Kadosh, Kadosh. You're familiar with this statement? You've been sure what they say is Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. And then we say, Hashem Tzivakot Melo Kola Aretz Kevodov. God is holy, holy, holy. Which means Borei Olam is so up there. So in a stratosphere. It's un unbelievable. And then Melo Kola Aretz Kevodov. He's in every nuance of the world. He's in every cell, every DNA, every little piece of your finger. He is in every single portion of our being. There's a story in this week's parasha that I believe has an important lesson. And then we'll conclude with another story. And I really want to thank you for coming and a house and 
thank you for, I don't know if she's here anymore, but thank her for hosting us. And thank you for coming down here. Bezat Hashem, next week we're in our regular location in the shul, back. We've been two weeks out. I don't think we ever did that before in my life. Bezat Hashem, we'll be back in our regular spot. Tell everyone to be there. Let me give you this thought. And this week's parasha, at the end. There is a man who got so frustrated at the world, this is in the Pesukim, got so frustrated at the world that he let out a curse towards God. You know the story? I don't know if anyone here has heard the story. In the desert, he let out, he walked out of the courthouse. He was not happy with Moshe Rabbeinu. He wasn't happy with the court case. And he let out a curse to God. Nokev means the curse. You're not even supposed to say that in that way. You're supposed to say Barech Hashem is what we call it. Blessing God, but it means the opposite. He cursed. Nokev. And his punishment was death. Why was his punishment death? Like, that's very dramatic. The answer is we never get to a point as a human being that we allow the world to overwhelm us. It's one step at a time. You don't have to hit grand slams. You don't have to hit five-run home runs. You just have to do one step at a time. And if that man got to the point where he's willing to cut himself off from Bore Olam, then that person gets to the point where we don't have much, to the extent where not only he's not into it, he's fighting it, that person, like it's almost like the Torah is saying, we're not even going further with him. But what's powerful about that story is not that little message. What's powerful about that story is that we didn't even know the law until the story happened. And then Moshe Rabbeinu had to ask God, and from this little story came out a powerful halacha. There are five times in the Torah that this happened. This case, the Nokev Shem. I hope you're going to know one of them. Please shake your head if you know one of these. Nokev Shem, zero. Okay, <laughs> next. Do we, anyone here know the story of the Mekoshesh Etzim? Yeah. That's the man who gathered the wood or cut the wood in the desert on Shabbat. Good, very good. Another story. I hope you know this one. The daughters of Tzilofchat. They didn't have a portion in Israel. They wanted to get a portion in Israel. The daughters of Tzilofchat. Good, we know that. Very nice. Anyone here know this story? There were a bunch of men who were Tameh during Pesach and they asked for a makeup day, Pesach Sheni, which was on Sunday. You know about that? Pesach Sheni. Good. Okay, good. Here you go. See, we got a very educated so class here. Very good. We're good. And the last one, is the story of a woman who sinned, who Pinchas had to um, take the situation in his own hands, cause B Batsur. Yes, we know these stories? So out of all five, we know four out of five? That's not bad. Again, Nokev Shem, Mikoshesh Etzim, Tzilov Chad, Pesach Sheni, and Kosbi Batsur. There's a beautiful Gemara. Gemara Masech Megillah says that there are five letters in the Torah that Sufim Amru. That like the Nevi'im helped us create them. The letters are Min Natspach. Mem, Nun, Tzadi, Pechach. Those are the five letters that are doubles. We have a Mem and a Mem Sofit, a Nun and a Nun Sofit, Tzadi, Tzadi, Sofit, Pe, Pe, Sofit, and a Chav, Chav, Sofit. The five letters that have doubles, the Nevi'im helped us create them. Min Natspach, Tzufim, Amrum. Those five letters, the Nevi'im, the prophets, helped us understand them to have a double in those letters. Here's the kicker and here's the point. What does Min Natsbach also stand for? Mikoshesh, Nokev, Tzilofchad, Pesach Sheni, and Kozbi. Min Natsbach. Got it? 
We all got that. I hope we all got that. We are very clear on that. Again, five letters correspond to the five stories that are five stories that were little episodes that just happened. And from that, power portions of the Torah were created. Because that's how Kedusha is formed. Little events, little stories, little day-to-day, that from it you sprout Kedusha from little mundane things. You take all those ten things you're trying to balance every single day, and you take each one of those challenges, and from it you blossom a little Kedusha. Out of this little story, this little event, you know, famous quote from Winston Churchill that I think is powerful and true and you can use it in so many areas of your life. He says, a pessimist from every opportunity finds a challenge. An optimist from every challenge finds an opportunity. That's a Jewish life. From every challenge finds a way to build Kiddushah. From every one of those ten things I mentioned before that are giving you a little trouble, your health, your spouse, your finances, your emotions, your temptations, from every one of those is an opportunity to build Kiddushah, an opportunity to achieve powerful, lofty, unbelievable goals. That's what life is. Don't ever get overwhelmed by it. Don't ever get exasperated by it. Because life, yes, is so much. You're going to go home, there's going to be six of those ten that I just mentioned are going to be, actually, I'm not sure, one of my sisters is a little upset, and one of my kids is in trouble in school. Again, I can't even, I'm not even sure how I'm going to pay for camp in the summer. Why do they charge so much, by the way? <laughs> camp in the summer. How am I going to, the, the, my husband, I know the Moody's coming on in. I, and, and it's like a lot. It's like a lot. But if you take it with this mindset, where you're finding the opportunity for Kiddushah, in each challenge, then life is powerful. Let me conclude with a little story. It's a mashal, told by a great rabbi named Rabbi Pincus. There's once a little town, a little town, we'll say in a little Arab village. Maybe Jews lived in the Middle Eastern country. And they woke up one morning, and it was dark. Just dark. Everyone says something's wrong. They're looking at their clocks. I must be, I have something wrong at the time. I'm not sure what's wrong here. All day, it just remained dark. Dark, no one went to work. Everyone was frightened. No one went to school. Everyone stayed home. That night, they would pray. The next morning, they woke up, and it was dark again. The sun just didn't rise. And then the next day, and then the next day, people were like, what are we doing? Like the, the world is just dark. People are mortified. They don't even know what to do with themselves. How do I even, how do we even function? And then someone came up with an idea. Uh, we have to move on. So they built a little candle. And they lit a candle. And you walked around with a candle. And you went to work. And then the next day, another person had a little candle. And people started to walk around with candles. One day, a person, for years, they're doing this. Candles and candles and a few candles and this time to function. What are they going to do? They can't just stay home. They can start going to school and they start going to work and start having a life and making money and buying and selling and doing and marrying and they're with these candles. One day, years later, some person comes up with an invention a light bulb. They're so excited. It's a light bulb. It doesn't just light up the space, it can light up the room. It's a light bulb. They couldn't believe it. And people were like so excited they had this light bulb. And then finally one person, this is years after the story happened, and finally they found one older man who was like still a survivor from the old days. And they came to him and they said, Sir, we, we, we found a light bulb. Like look at this, it can light up a room. 
He says, like, great, but you know what we used to have? We used to have the sun. I don't know how to describe this to you, but it, it, it wasn't just like a candle, a light bulb, or like you upgraded from one to two. We used to have the sun that lit up the world. He says, I, I, you know, it's good, it's beautiful, but, but that's really what we are. Right? Pincus says, you know, we used to have the Beit HaMikdash. We used to have a world where there was light, where there was Kiddushah everywhere. There was holiness in every single step of everything that people did. And then we lost it. And for the first few years, it felt dark until the Jewish people got used to living in the dark. And we get proud of a little mitzvah that we do and a little candle we light. Or maybe we open a yeshiva and we invent a light bulb. Like we did something nice. That's not our goal. Our goal is the sun. Our goal is kedushah on an unbelievable level. Don't get distracted by the elilim that the world puts around you. I gave you an example of a fight, which is something that probably no woman cared about. Let me give you a female examples. Or maybe not. Shows things, items, brand names, clothing, vacation, things that are just nothing. That we turn to it and we get distracted and get engulfed in darkness. Our life has to be a life of power. And the way life has that power, if we imitate both elements of God, the billions and trillions and gazillions of stars that are infinite miles away from us, and unbelievable in its enormity. And then the small cells that are so small and precise that you can't even see it, even with a normal microscope, that has such precision and such power inside. We're doing the same. Power and precise. Unbelievable goals with small actions. Turning the opportunity for Kiddushah in every single challenge. Thank you. Thank you